Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. That's right. Well, we have gotten off the plane. We're back at the US of A. We're settled back home in our fair city of Cambridge. And uh, the studio's back in place. Producer Doug slapped it down in the empty lot that it was in. And he said, here we go. Go back to work. We only brought the equipment. We used a vacant building in Ireland. Um, so when we got back to our home offices in uh, Cambridge, we have a new room. And it's the uh, it's the pool. When we were gone, uh, apparently our roof leaked. <laughs> and... Uh, it rained a lot, so that's a fun new attachment to the room. We did get frantic messages from um, from Barry. Apparently, there was some water <laughs> everywhere. Oh, did we check Josh in the glove box? Yes, that was the only place that's dry. <laughs> oh, good. Well, that's good. Because <laughs> it's a glove box in a car that's parked in a studio. Anyway... <laughs> In any case, I'm glad everyone made it out okay. It's the last time we can take a vacation, though. We've been banned from traveling. It's also confusing how we got out of the studio, because we always tell people that we can't leave. No, that's just for our guests. But we told Josh that we took the doors off. That was a lie. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) That's so you feel better about being in the glove box. Yeah. (laughs) Poor guy. There's clearly a door. (laughs) Anyway, Seth, what have you been playing? Well, recently, continuing along with... My uh, new playdate that I got from the last episode. Playdate for those who didn't listen to the last episode and are only listening to this episode, and I don't blame you. I think the last episode's going to have a horrible name no matter what we release it as. I recently acquired a playdate, which is a small 8-bit console, uses e-ink for the display, and has a crank, which is fun, and you play crank games. Um, the <laughs> it makes it game sound that- like you're playing... <laughs> like arcade claw games that's what i pictured for a second when you said we play crank games yeah i think some of them you could have a claw game in it but i was recently playing casual birder casual birder was released in 2021 and you play as a guy who loves birds it's like pokemon same kind of like graphic style as pokemon like it has like the little 8-bit guys walking around they're very small and you have like a little town you go inside and outside of buildings except uh you're not catching pokemon or fighting pokemon uh you're taking pictures of birds and they're birds that are on benches they're birds flying from trees you have to sometimes move quickly to get a picture of the bird you also have to use the crank to focus your camera because your camera is always out of focus so you have to spin it to focus it and you have to move your thing around so you can take a picture and then you take a picture of a bird and it identifies the bird and it's a very casual game and you're a birder so it's uh, not anything really like pokemon except for the art style uh, but it's been a pretty fun game to play but like most playdate games they are very casual and very light but i do enjoy uh taking a little break sometimes with them nice that's fun uh so uh zach what are you playing seth recently i've been playing Baldur's gate 3 released in 2023 by larian studios i'm pretty sure everyone knows about this game already if you don't it's uh it's a role-playing game it's the third game the Baldur's gate franchise seth has been playing a lot of Baldur's gate 3 per some of his recently plays uh he's talked about it to an extent so i'm not going to go too into detail about it also i'm not very far in it uh i'm pretty much just past the opening sequence and my character has woken up on an island so i'm playing as a, a half elf mage uh who's pretty lousy at rolling perception checks and uh overall i'm enjoying myself i think it's a fun game like so the one of the first things i did when my character when you get out of like your weird pod and you're like looking around my character walked up to that cauldron in the center of the room and i tried to use a, a like an arcana check to figure out what it was i rolled a one and uh the narrator was like it appears to be bubbling and the option was to either walk away or touch it and i said touch it and it exploded <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, that's fun. But overall, I'm enjoying myself. My guy's kind of, uh, he's just he's just going with the flow of things. He's, I've been pretty nice to everyone. I've been very trusting with people, even when they uh, definitely have ulterior motives. But I like playing I like playing people who are kind of dumb. And that's my guy. Right. My guy, I wanted to go for a fantasy name. I'm very bad at coming up with fantasy names. I probably should have used a generator. I wanted to go for one of those names where it was like, I don't know, has like an apostrophe in it. So it was like D apostrophe. I was trying to go for like Dior. Like D O oh, like Dwarden, like the Dwarden, elf yeah, from, yeah. So from R A Salvatore, I did D apostrophe O R K, and I pressed enter, and then I realized I just named my character Dork. <laughs> no, his name is D Ork. Is that his first name or last name? <laughs> it's his only name. <laughs> oh, that's fun. He's Dork, the the half elf mage. <laughs> He sounds a lot like my character, except my character's more of a murderer. To get into today's episode, Zach and I, we are rather big fans of RTS games, real-time strategy games, and we were all curious, where did video games come from, and what was the inspiration? Definitely talked about it before, though. <laughs> we offhandedly talked about the topic of today's episode. We have, but we haven't talked about today's episode. Right. To be fair, we aren't talking about Nether Earth in this episode, no. which is arguably the first RTS, and it came out one year before uh, the the game that we're going to talk about in today's episode. When we say this is the first RTS game, we are acknowledging that this is not Nether Earth. We are going to talk about the one that's often credited as the first real-time strategy game, and that's Herzog Joy, which is actually a sequel to another game that came before it. So there are in fact two games prior to Herzog Joy that inspired the RTS genre because Herzog Joy was not the first Herzog game and is in fact the sequel to the game Herzog. But where did that game come from? Well, back in 1980, a company was founded in Sasebo, Nagasaki called Sasebo Microcomputer Center. They would go on to change their name to Technosoft in 1982. Curiously, it is often spelled, if you look up articles about it, Techno, T-E-C-H-N-O-S-O-F-T. However, in a lot of their game credits, it's spelled T-E-C-N-O hyphen S-O-F-T. But they both sound the same. So it doesn't really matter for us how we say it. (laughs) But anyway, so they become Technosoft. Now, Technosoft was a stock-based company that developed software for Japanese personal computers. Uh, Mostly, they started out with like graphics and image processing software. However, in 1982, right after they changed their name, they would go on to release a game called Snake and Snake. Snake and Snake is an action game that takes place on one screen where you, the player, controls a snake and you try to kill other snakes. It's similar to the classic snake game where your snake grows in size, but instead of eating apples, you're trying to eat other snakes. And they have to be smaller than you. Now, there is a component where you can eat a frog so you can grow to become larger, but you can also spit poison to shrink the other snakes. They released it on cassette for the Sharp MZ80K and other Sharp iterations. So I'm not going to list all of the Sharps, but there was a lot of different Sharps it was like Sharp 700, 800, and so on and so forth. But they also released it on the PC-8000. Now, the next game they released was Thunder Force. 
which would go on to be very successful for them. Thunder Force is a free-scrolling top-down shooter and was the first series to be released in Technosoft's well-performing franchise, Thunder Force. Uh, It would go on to have 12 releases of games within the franchise, with the latest coming out on the PS2 in 2008. It is a franchise that maybe we'll we'll come back and talk about it. Um, A bulk of Thunder Forces were released on the Genesis and the Sega Saturn. The franchise would also eventually see release outside of Japan, but only from Thunder Force 2 and on. The first one would never get released outside of Japan, but this was one of their first, Technosoft's first, one of their first games to go to uh, a North American audience. Now, the original game, Thunder Force, was released in 1983 in Japan for the Sharp X1, and then in 1984 and 1985 for other Japanese computers, such as the PC-88, the FM-7, the PC-98, and the PC-6001. So if you wanted to play it, I think you have to, if pro- you probably emulate it, but at that time, you would have had to have um, a computer that was capable of running it, and you'd have to import the software in. Following Thunder Force was Plasma Line, and Plasma Line is spelled with a Z. Because it's cool. Which is a first-person space racing game and was one of the first computer games with 3D polygon graphics. The objective of Plasma Line was to race in outer space, all while avoiding 3D rendered obstacles. Uh, Plasma Line was released in 1984 for the PC-8801, the PC-6001, the PC-X1, and for the FM7. And it would also go on to be another successful game series for Technosoft. So they've right now released three games. One was Snake and Snake, which did all right from my understanding. But the other two have taken off and they're like, yeah, apparently whatever we were doing before, video games is the answer. Now, their fourth game was Feedback, which was released in 1988 for the MSX2. In Feedback, you play as Aruza, which is a powered suit and you must hunt down a dimensional control computer named Laxus, who is running amok and striking against mankind. The Aruza is definitely an influence for the Metal Knights that would be in Herzog. The game, Feedback, is a shooter and has a space harrier kind of vibe to it as your character is uh you know this floating power armor and has a sideways look the game wasn't the greatest success at least compared to thunder force and plasma line though the motif would carry on into herzog one interesting fact that we discovered about feedback was the end of the original program floppy contains a long hidden text by designer Yuichi Toyama. Much of the text is spent bad-mouthing Toyama's colleagues and employers. Of note is the passage about moving to Hiroshima and joining Compile if they ever put out a help-wanted ad. A few years later, Toyama found himself employed by Compile. I, I love Good that. Good for him. <laughs> he literally left a rant inside a video game and was like, I'm done. I love that for him. In 1988, the next game that Technosoft released was Herzog. Not Herzog's way, Herzog. Released on their usual suspects, the MSX, PC-98, PC-88, and Sharp X1, Herzog was the first game in the Herzog series, and one of the earliest versions of a real-time strategy game that would be popular- popularized later by Dune 2, Command & Conquer, and Warcraft and StarCraft. Unlike RTS of the modern era, Herzog's playfield is a long vertical stretch instead of a map that stretches both in the Y and X axis. It's just a straight up and down corridor of violence. Herzog also didn't have building bases as part of the gameplay mechanic. The player would inherit a base, as would the competition, and each would get a hovering battle mech that would be able to bring in new units. The enemy also has a hovering battle mech, and they will attack you throughout the game, where you must defend yourself with your own mech to have some mech on mech 
combat. The battle mech is like an airplane, but changes into a mech. And Seth is a big fan of this kind of transformation. This is actually yeah. very similar to the anime Macross. In Macross yeah. uh, and the game Macross, there is a, a mech that flies. Now, the story behind the original Herzog is that a decade before the game storyline kicks off, President Hughes, who is in charge of the Republic of Mercies, gets taken out. The Ruth Liberian Army, led by Roger Tense, fesses up to the hit. <laughs> what am I describing? <laughs> That's when things go south between Mercy's and Ruth, who used to be all buddy-buddy, and bam, war breaks out. These bigwig nations, they jump into the mix on both sides, and before you know it, the world's in on the whole enchilada. They're all they're all at war with each other. Fast forward 10 years, and Ruth's army is right at Vaxen's doorstep, which is Mercy's capital. And it seems like the war is starting to wind down, which is convenient. If the player plays their cards right and is able to snag Remerge, which is Ruth's capital, that's a wrap for the war and the two countries shake hands and sign a piece steel five years later easy peasy right wrong now the game as evident by uh zach's description of the story there's a lot of fighting also it's like a late 80s early 90s rts the story doesn't really you know it's a little convoluted but who cares now each battlefield in the game follows a linear path with the players bases being situated on one end and the enemy bases on the opposite end both sides have access to land armor units capable of aerial and ground movement allowing them to transport friendly units as well as engage in combat with both enemy and friendly forces to create units for battle players rely on continuously replenishing funds adding 10 money units approximately every half a a second these units traverse the battlefield engaging in confrontations with opposing forces and if they successfully reach the enemy's end they inflict damage on the enemy base. The game concludes when one side inflicts enough damage to the opposing base to destroy it. Now, the visual representation of the gameplay is divided into a vertical aligned graphical area with real-time unit control takes place. At the top of a screen, a small horizontal radar displays units as colored dots moving across the screen according to their positions. Each side's respective land armor and base damage percentages are visible at the bottom of the screen. When either of those reaches 100%, they are destroyed. In two-player mode, the gameplay remains consistent with single player mode. The graphical area is divided into sections, with player 1 represented in blue, player 2 in red, and the primary distinction is that the initial battle occurs at the midpoint between two capitals and progresses forward or backwards based on the victor until one of the capitals is defeated. Now, there are a number of different deployable units within Herzog. There is land armor, which is a unit that is controlled directly by the player. All the other units move on their own, kind of like a tower defense game. Uh, the computer-controlled army has an infinite number of land armors, however, and the player's limited is just to one and has to buy extras if they need them. And if you get all of your extras destroyed, then you lose the game. So the land armor is your... Is, that's the battle mech that flies around and becomes... It either flies or becomes armor, like a mech, um, and can carry things and do all sorts of stuff. It's like your little working bee. Um, it's a very powerful unit. Now, the units that move on their own are the soldiers, the tanks, the anti-aircraft missile carriers, the side cards, the anti-tank guns which don't actually move but they shoot on their own, and the Grand Slam. Uh, and that last unit just sounds like something you would get at Denny's. I think it is something you could get at Denny's. Man, I want the Grand Slam. Soldiers are slow and cheap and are easily defeated. However, if they ride in the land armor, they actually heal the land armor over time. And that because they're cheap, you can just spawn lots of soldiers. Tanks are 
are the main units that are produced. Uh, they are slow, but they do a lot of damage to structures, and they can take a lot of hits. Anti-aircraft missile carriers are used to go after enemy land armor, and they have a limited amount of missiles. They can also get loaded into, into land armor, and then your land armor can shoot the anti-aircraft missiles from themselves. Now, the sidecars are cheap, fast motorcycles that have a fast fire rate but have very low hit points. Anti-tank guns are ground turrets that are actually placed by the land armor. They are very expensive, but they cannot be moved without being picked back up by the land armor. So you have to deploy them, and then you have to pick them up and move them. So they're not move, they're not able to move by themselves. They're great for defending bases from tanks. That's why they're called the anti-tank gun. Now, the Grand Slam is not a delicious meal available at Denny's, but it is, in fact, a missile. And it travels across the battleground very slowly. But once it hits the other base, it destroys the base with 100% damage. Grand Slams cannot be seen, and the only way to stop a Grand Slam is another grand slam just like in denny's though i i imagine that if you're if you're having some after effects from a grand, grand slam from denny's having another grand slam is not the answer to fixing those might not be the answer but it certainly is the solution there is an announcement that you're told when the grand slam is launched i just think it's just a just a fun name for a for a missile and i imagine it might be something different in Jap in japanese ah man though i really hope that like there's ever a remake of the original herzog they get tim kritzow to do the announcements for the grand slam oh, and he's yeah. like the grand slam <laughs> now the mx2 version of herzog featured nine cities to fight over however the pc88 and the sharp x1 versions do have different visuals and have only five cities that are contested so if you want to play a full herzog version get the mxx2 version however if you want to play a game that is arguably even better than you can play herzog zway which is the sequel to herzog released in 1989 in japan and 1990 worldwide the game was only released on the mega drive in genesis though it was eventually brought over to the switch as part of the sega ages line in 2020 it's a fairly unique twist on how the previous game operated as it uses both elements of technosoft's thunder force games with the real-time strategy element it also introduces uh, a bit more movement around the map that you can do. In many ways, the original Herzog is a prototype to what Herzog's way would become. The game has a single player multiplayer mode. In single player, you are put up against an AI enemy and have a total view of the screen, while in multiplayer mode, it's split screen. In Herzog's way, you primarily control a pilot who flies a ship and is able to transform into a mech. The vehicle is able to be used for both utility and combat. You can use this mech to purchase surface combat units and issue them orders. You can also place units that you have built using your flying mech, essentially airlifting and drop dropping them places. And it, essentially the mech acts as a cursor that can shoot, which is, which is convenient. Vehicles in the game have an assigned order, such as patrol, garrison, or capture base. They will perform these actions until they are either destroyed or run out of fuel. The player's mech and the ground forces have a finite amount of fuel and ammunition, so you can run out of bullets or simply run out of fuel and no longer be able to operate, just like real life. 
Mm-hmm. Now, the game has a total of eight different units that can be purchased, along with nine permanent outposts that can be found. These outposts act as production resources, serving as places to refuel, repair, or pick up various purchased items, though the outposts can be captured by either the player or the enemy. So it's actually highly recommended that when you play Herzog's Way to capture as many outposts as you can so that you have like unlimited opportunity be- before you and you don't get squashed. A typical screen of Herzog's Way will show you the player field and the main portion of the screen, and above the field are four letters. These letters represent various stats to keep in check, such as the letter B, which stands for your energy level of your home base, the letter G, which is the amount of ammo you have, the letter E, which is the amount of fuel you'll have, and the letter D, which is your shield level. G, E, and D can all be replenished, with the home's base energy, B, being the only energy that cannot be replenished. So, how did these games do? Funny fact, the way that we built this episode up, you would assume that Herzog did the best. It didn't, and we'll get into that. But I think Herzog, and specifically Herzog Jouet, I has gotten more into like cult classic, hidden gems type game um, lately, especially with the way the retro scene has been going on um, in today. So I think that Herzog Jouet does better today than it did when it launched, which is fun. Now, the Thunder Force series, on the other hand, did very well. <laughs> it, of course, spawned a lot of sequels. Uh, Thunder Force 2 received high praise on release, getting a 93% from Zero Magazine, 82% from Mean Machines and 90, 90% from Computer and Video Games and Fumushu Fumitsu gave it a 28 out of 40 which is not a good review but it's fine. Better than half. Uh, Thunder Force 3 was called a straightforward flying shooter with gorgeous graphics by GamePro. All game, all game gave it a 4.5 star and Fumitsu rated it 31 out of 40 so they apparently liked 3 better than 2 by 3 points. Thunder Force 4 did very well in terms of Reception, ranking it up to a 96.5% from GameFan, a 94% from Mega Drive Advanced Gaming, and 93% from Computer and Video Games, Thunder Force 5. The last of the series by Technosoft, Thunder Force 6 for the PS2 was actually made by Sega, received more average reviews. Three stars from All Game, three stars from Computer Video Games, six out of 10 from Edge, and 7.5 out of 10 from EGM. Now, the original Herzog has scored very well in modern years, earning a four out of five stars from uh, users of Moby Games. Now, Herzog Jouet was not a commercial success, largely due to complete lack of marketing. It also wasn't an arcade game, and the Genesis was largely being pushed as pushed as a console that was for arcade games. It also, at the time, had mixed reviews. EGM gave it a 4.25 out of 10, the Games Machine had it at 75%, Joystick gave it a 78%, and PowerPlay gave it an 80%. And just middling reviews and a lack of a marketing campaign campaign led it to really just kind of putz through and become a hidden gem. Now, in recent years, the game has received higher scores, such as a 4 out of 5 from All Game and 9.75 from Game Informer, a 10 out of 10 from Sega 16, maybe a little biased, and a GameSpot review giving it a 8.8 out of 10. And in the years since, it has been ranked in various lists of good Genesis games, including a 100 best games of all time list from EGM, who gave it a 4.2 out of 5 out of 10 in their 1997 release so egm came in what is this almost seven years after it was necessary and said said, actually they said actually this game one of the top 100 games of all time but when we reviewed it originally we said it was uh, not even a five out of (laughs) ten so egm you are to blame for herjog becoming a hidden gem 
That's right. But to say that Herzog and Herzog's Way left an impact would be a understatement. Games like Dune 2, Warcraft, Orcs and Humans, Command and Conquer, and Starcraft have all been recognized as being influenced by Herzog's Way. In fact, the producers of Dune 2 openly stated that they were inspired by the Genesis game. I think they stated that they would play the Genesis game like while working on Dune 2. So they definitely were influenced. Another influence that Herzog's Way had was on the genre of MOBAs or multiplayer online battle arenas. MOBAs have also been referred to as action RTS games and follow a similar structure to how Herzog's Way plays, with the player controlling a central character and lower level ground units being there to assist. The game also influenced the development and release of the free-to-play MOBA Airmech, which takes a lot of visual elements from Herzog's Way in its design. In fact, when I saw pictures of Airmech, I was like, wow, they made a new Herzog's Way? No. Ermac just uses a lot of styling that looks a lot like Herzog's Way, but with better graphics. Herzog's Way was re-released on the Nintendo Switch as the last game of the Sega Ages line, with online multiplayer, a tutorial mode, widescreen support, and a difficulty option, and the game was also included in the Sega Genesis Mini 2 in 2022. And that will do it for Herzog's Way, the game that heavily inspired the real-time strategy genre as we know it. Again, it's not the first real-time strategy game, which I think is always the case. Like Whenever we talk about games that are influential to a specific genre, I don't think it's ever been the first game. To be fair, first things are rarely influential, which sounds rough, but it kind of is true, right? Like, yeah. like Wolfenstein wasn't the first first-person shooter, but it is very influential. And Herzog's Way wasn't the first real-time strategy game, wasn't even the first Herzog's Way game, and Herzog's Way was very influential, but that's just the way things are in the world. I, I also, I really like that Herzog's Way was very influential, but also received not the greatest reception. I just think it's fun when a game like this becomes not only a hidden gem, but also like influential to the right people like you the game it, it could be an entire world where the dune two people didn't play it because it wasn't sold to them or they didn't yeah. pick it up or like it's just kind of cool that rts's could have i think we still would have gotten rts's without herzog i think they might have been a little different though yeah and it might have taken a little longer yeah it would maybe taken a little longer maybe the strategy game would be a little different i think we still would have had like a, a strategy tactical chess type game but it might have been it might have been a little different um it may not have had the same feel as they did uh, they do today now to get into the retro rewind seth had me play quest 64 created in 1998 by imagineer quest 64 is unique as it is a role-playing game on the n64 a genre that is lacking on the n64 i think there are only a handful of role-playing games. The only other one I can name off the top of my head is Ogre Tactics Battle, which is on the N64. I can't name any others, but I know there's at least one or two more than that. In the game, you play as a mage named Brian in the fantasy world of Celtland, which is supposed to be based on Ireland, which is coincidental as Seth and I just returned from Ireland. And in the game, you have to learn various spells based on the elements and fight off monsters. It's a unique game to say the least, but in all honesty, I find the game to be incredibly clunky not very fun. The game is grindy, with random encounters feeling like even more than just the standard random you get from role-playing games. So for example, I was fighting one enemy, I beat them, I got some experience, I took five steps, and I encountered another random encounter of the same exact two enemies I had just beaten. And I was like, that's obnoxious. And that is obnoxious to me. Uh, and, but maybe for some people, Quest 64 might fit a certain niche. For me, it doesn't. Next week, Seth can play conspiracy featuring donald sutherland that's the name of the game 
Nice. I'm excited about that. Zach had me play Nintendo's 1991 Pilot Wings for the SNES, which was a launch title that came along Super Mario World and F-Zero. So out of those three games, which games are you going to play? Obviously, Pilot Wings was not the most popular of the three games. However, even though it wasn't the most popular, it was the most impressive. Uh, The game played entirely in mode 7, which uh, allowed rotation effects and full scaling. Uh, I think like it and F-Zero were really designed to show off the Nintendo ability to do things. And the Mario game was released because Nintendo can't launch a system without having a Mario game. (laughs) Now, in Pilot Wings, you you play as a student in a flight school and you have to fly around in increasingly difficult courses. Uh, Pilot Wings, once you get the hang of it, is a smooth and relaxing game where you can enjoy flying through the skies. So definitely holds up and so does its N64 counterpart, Pilot Wings 64. They're both great games. They're very... I feel like they're just fun type of like... It's just like a game that's designed to be fun in a gameplay. You don't need to build yourself up. So if you like Pilot Wings, or if you if you want to play something that's fun, that's relaxing, check out Pilot Wings. Next week, Zach, you could play Theme Park Mystery. Anyway, thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. If you want to listen to more episodes, you can find us where any podcast services are available. However, not on Google Podcasts anymore. That's a sad day. That is apparently, I guess YouTube... Oh, it just doesn't exist anymore? No, Google Podcast is getting sunsetted. Uh, just uh, like... Uh, just, just Stitcher. Stitcher, yeah. We should only in our episodes list podcast apps that are no longer available to download. That'd be funny. Uh, you can listen to us on Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Podcasts. Anyway, just like Amazon Podcasts got gotten rid of, Google's doing the same thing. So we will be found on YouTube Podcasts, I guess. There's going to be like, I don't know. For some way, our podcast is going to go on to YouTube somehow. But anyway, so find us there. I wonder if I can associate it with our actual YouTube account. That'd be kind of cool. Anyway, if you want to contact us and write to us about episodes you can always send us an email at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com you can also if you want to be able to interact with us in a more modern sense follow us on all the social medias we have a facebook an instagram and a twitch that are all at classic gaming brothers and we have a twitter and a blue sky which is cg brothers pod so give us a follow like and a shout out on there finally if you find us in in your you're in your podcasting app and you want to help the podcast you can always give us a rating we like uh good five star reviews are great for the podcast and if it's not five stars then it's okay you don't have to review us and and that's gonna be it i think is there anything else that i forgot to mention don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been zach and i've been seth we've been the classic gaming brothers that's right that's right